Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. You Why are you beating stuff? <laughs> no, it just come down there. It was bro. hanging over the table, okay. so I just hit it on accident. But we are glad that you're here. If this is one of your first times with us, or uh, your very first time with us, we are so glad that you're joining us. What Overtime is, is basically our deeper dive into the weekend message. So this is our opportunity, kind of Sermon 2.0, if you will, um, where we can kind of expound a little bit, where we encourage you as our congregation to kind of send your questions. And boy, do we have a lot of questions this week. I'm excited to Good get job, to that. Good job, guys. Good job. We're going to get to them probably a lot quicker than we have in the past, just because we're going to see how many of these we can cover uh, in this week. So this week, we were on week four of Jesus for President. Before we get to that, I do want to let you know of some of the changes, some of the things that are happening specifically on our church service online within the next couple of weeks and how you can hear more about that. So basically what we want to do as a church is that we want to try and engage you, our church online community, a little bit better than what we have in the past. So what we've done is we've partnered with kind of a, a church that has this awesome tool that we get to use that allows us to be able to host services, to be able to kind of introduce you, to talk to you, kind of set up a chat feature while you're watching the message. So what we're going to be doing is that this Thursday on October 29th, during our normal cadence of our weekly vision update, we, we are going to be showing you what that looks like, how you can get involved, how you can do that, kind of the what, why, and the how behind that. So would encourage you to tune in at eight. You can just go to our website, clcfamily.church slash um, watch live and you can kind of see what's happening there. It's also kind of a couple different other places. If you're on, on Facebook our... watching this now, you'll be able to do the same thing. Exactly. The week. Yep. So we're going to kind of give you uh, the what, why, and how of that on Thursday. But then what you'll see is that in the next couple Sundays, we're actually going to be starting to un unveil that. So you'll see kind of the same cadence that we've normally done. So if you watch on Facebook, you can still do that. If you watch on YouTube, you can do that. If you go to our website, you can still do that. But we're going to start promoting and pushing this new platform because once that does go live and that's all that we're offering, basically the Facebook option won't be there for you anymore. And then the YouTube version is just kind of the on-demand feature. So we want to let you know, I know that there's probably a ton of questions for that. We'll hopefully answer all of those questions this coming Thursday, October 29th with our vision update. Um, that is kind of all the announcements I think that we want to get to. If you've got questions even about that, please, you can email us overtime at clcfamily.church or just text us whatever question you have to 610-869-2140. So that is kind of the announcement portion. Now what we want to do is kind of do a quick recap or do a recap of what we talked about um, for week four, Jesus for President. Uh, and then we're going to dive into some of these questions. We'll get to as many as we can, um, maybe all of them. They might be fast. They might be quick. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. So do you want to give us an update of what we kind of talked about? Uh, yep, the thanks, Ben. Um, so I don't even know. Week, week four of Jesus for week President, four. which is like week 16 or 17 of the Gospel of Luke. So same series, just a different, you know, skin on the top of it. And so what we've been doing is seeing... Uh, the, reading through the Gospel of Luke and seeing what's happening in uh, Luke declaring that's a you know he wrote a, a biographical manuscript of Jesus' life. He did all the research, met with all the eyewitnesses, and kind of put together this orderly account. And as he did that, uh, he uh, told us that he did it so that we could have certainty about the things we've been taught. And so what he wanted us to have certainty about, particularly this guy named Diopolis, uh, wealthy benefactor who pays Luke to do go do the research, it's true, not folklore, not myth, not legend. But he tells Theophilus, there's good news. You can have certainty about things you've been taught. And therefore, you no longer need to say or should say or can say Caesar is Lord. 
because there actually is a Lord of Baal, a king, and his name is Jesus. So Luke's gospel is going to help us see that there's a new kingdom and a new king coming to establish, that Jesus came to establish here on this earth, and it's for now and forever. And so what we've been talking about is, hey, um, the, the world by which we're going to participate in and live in is going to be with a new king, a new kingdom, and, you know, another term, a new president. And so we're talking about Jesus for president. And here's kind of been the big idea of the series is, we think you should place your vote for a candidate, uh, but you cannot place your hope in that candidate hmm. where you place your hope is in Jesus. And finally, finally this week, Luke gives us a picture of what Jesus' platform is, what his stump speech is. And so we go, what in the world did Jesus come to do? What should his kingdom look like? How do we participate in it? And it's actually pretty simple. Uh, Luke quotes Jesus, who's reading uh, a quote by Isaiah, who God gives to Isaiah to declare the goodness that's going to come. So 700 years before Jesus shows up, um, a prophet, that's a guy who declared that God was going to uh, make a way where there is no way, right? So Isaiah hears this word from God. He puts it in pen to paper, and he declares what the God is going to do through the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the King, that's Jesus. And this is what he said, and Jesus quotes it in Isaiah, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. So here's the big idea. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So Jesus is going, the Spirit is on me. Uh, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. So he is establishing that he's the king, and his goal is to bring good news and hope to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus' stump speech, his platform, is to actually bring freedom and hope and joy to those who are oppressed, those who are enslaved, and those who are broken and shattered. And what he declares is going to bring us his, his favor and his grace for now and for all eternity. And so we get to look at it. What does it look like to participate in uh, his platform, his kingdom? And it gave us this grid by which we could consider how we vote in light of the coming kingdom that God came to establish. By the way, let me apologize for that, and then we'll get in it. Um <laughs> Got some good feedback uh, on the grid, which I think is really helpful. I'd recommend you read Before You Vote by David Platt. But one of the, one of the mistakes I made was I put uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and then I mixed them up because I don't know which one to put. And because I moved them back and forth, I think there's this kind of thought that they must have had to do with the grid. Right, right. Um, and they just were there just to be there. But really, it was a kind of a XY grid where yeah. what I was hoping would happen is you'd see these different issues. As you moved up to the top right, you would understand the issues that you should spend more of your time and energy on in terms of discerning who the right person to vote yeah, for right. is. So the higher it up on the right for you, as you sort through those, probably where you should spend your time trying to figure out um, which uh, which candidate gives you the most biblical clarity and practical consequences as a result. And so sorry about that. I'm sure we'll get into it later. Yeah. But, I feel like as I watched yeah. for the first few minutes, I was a little confused trying to figure that. But that, towards the end, I was going, okay, I think that we actually, it's just, you know, bottom left is, is least yeah. important to top right. So uh, thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Um, yeah. One of the things kind of, I feel like that you made a, a big point and, and hopefully I'm not taking any ammunition away from later, but one of the things you pointed out was that God's kingdom. So you're pro became, second amendment. So what you said something about taking ammunition later. So, I, I don't even know what I just said there. I'm trying to, I'm trying to set up the question. I was thinking about gun rights, which is a political issue. So when you said take away ammunition, you're I was right. like, okay, whatever. Well, I forget even what I was saying. Oh, uh, God's kingdom was for the marginalized, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. that was kind of a big setup for the point. That's what Jesus is saying as he opens the scroll. Again, we're in Luke chapter four. Um, like, and so as he opens the scroll, that was a huge point. And so 
what I want to do is just kind of dive into some of the questions, and I'm going to start with the the two that are in my phone. By the way, it's good news that's for the marginalized because you and I are the marginalized, right? right? So we're we are we're on the periphery, we're on the edges. We we yeah. all of us are. We, we we're not don't have our whole life together. We don't have all the plans. It doesn't matter as rich as you are, as poor as you are, as educated you are, as non-educated. We all know that there's something off. And so when we say that he came to set captives free, he's talking about all of us yeah, in that. Right, right. So the very first question that uh, we'll just ask, and these may be, you know, these may connect. Some of these may overlap. So we're just going to kind of work through them uh, and then just okay, go for it. each answer. So this is the first question. that says, Josh spoke very in-depth about specific political issues that may impact us if whichever candidate were voted into office, which was great. But can well, you now speak to how we as Christians should be thinking as far as how our vote impacts other citizens in our nation? For example, I, if I know hypothetically that a, uh, uh, that a specific candidate doesn't care about voting, the Voting Rights Act, but I'm a white male, so it doesn't really impact me personally, does that mean I don't consider that when I place my vote? Okay, so what, what, I, what I feel like the question is, is um, when, I, when I think about voting, particularly, I guess, the, uh, I don't think we're asking about the Vo uh, Voting Rights Act, and, but particularly... Uh, there are some people that feel like they are having a harder time having access to voting as a result. Right. But if right. it doesn't affect me, then should I care? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, in fact, anything that I hope that we get out of this is that Jesus surrendered right. all of his rights. He was in heaven and he stepped on this planet. And Isaiah told us it was going to happen 700 years earlier. And the reason he did is he gave up all of his rights, all of his freedoms, all of um, his comfort and security. And he laid them all down for the benefit of those around him. So the most important thing you can get out of this, right, is that as we vote, we are not voting for ourselves. And that's hard for us. Mm -hmm. And many of us think about what our rights and privileges are and how this next candidate from that, you know, the highest level presidential all the way down to the local government, what that candidate can do for you. And this isn't the JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And I don't care about that stuff. What I'm saying is we have to care about what we can do for our neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. And so as we vote, we're not thinking about what gives us another step up, another um, benefit, but what actually helps those around us who are marginalized. So he came to set captives free. That means as we vote, we're thinking about those that are enslaved. Right. He came to bring good news to the poor. So as we vote, we're thinking about people who have have very little resources. We think about those who are destitute, right? He, he came to give sight to the blind, both literally and figuratively. So a lot of the big issues right now, people can't even look up to see Jesus because they have so many needs and so many obstacles in front of them. They couldn't even imagine thinking about a God out there in the distance because right now they don't know how they're going to eat dinner tonight. And so as we think about voting and beyond voting, as we think about how we participate in this world each and every day, the way by which we do it is we think less about us and more about other people. By the way, there's a precedent for that. Paul tells us that in Philippians. He says we have to think of others as greater than ourselves, which means we have to think about them as greater than ourselves as we vote. So absolutely, as you try to figure out who to vote for, you got to figure out how it doesn't affect, not just affect you. In fact, that's minimum how it affects your neighbors as you consider the candidates. Yeah, I, I wrote this down. I'm pretty sure that this is an exact quote from you. Uh, towards the end of the message, you said, are you casting your vote for your own gain or for the marginalized? Yeah. I thought that that was a great, you know, test to see where your thought and your Which, by the way, is. that's why it complicates it because yeah, right. it depends on when we talk about biblical clarity and practical consequences, many of you, rightfully so, 
have deep conviction for the marginalized right. in the womb, right? Yeah. Those uh, babies who uh, you would declare and I would declare are life. Jesus says, uh, God tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb. So long before we breathe our first breath, we are known and identified our hairs, our, our identity all by God. Yeah. And so many of you are going, that's, that's it. That's, that's the point for me. I, I got to fight for those. I got to bring liberty, set liberty and for those that are captive in that way. Yeah. And, but that's why others of you are just as deeply convicted about immigration reform. And right. what about people who are refugees and war torn countries filled with demonology who are looking for hope in a future and you go those are marginalized we got to figure out how to help them find some hope and so that's why it's a, a lot more nuanced than here's the one issue let's yeah. deal with that we got to kind of see okay who are the neighbors who are the ones right now in front of us that we have this deep passion for and how can we serve them both with our vote and with our hands and feet and mm -hmm. what actually can happen over the next few years as we make this vote is this the yeah. year that this could really change in terms of of infants and babies, or is this the year that things could really, really change uh, for those who are segregated? Is this the year that uh, this could really, really change for the uh, the immigrant? And that's what, or the, is this the year that things could really change for those who don't have health care? Is this the year that things could really change for those who don't have food? We have yeah. to consider all those things as we weigh our vote, not for you, but for other people. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so here we go, just jumping yeah. into the next question. This one's a little bit of a quicker question. It says, could Jesus, practically speaking, be a socialist? And if so, what does that mean for our voting? Hmm. Okay, that's, that's interesting because oh, there, there's all sorts of connotations when you get socialist. Thanks for not using Marxist because that would be even uh, more complicated or communist. But really, depending on how you get, look at that, the word uh, socialist from what I gather. I don't know for sure. But I might be making this up. Google it, I guess. This <laughs> actually makes you really insecure. I'm talking without the notes and you can just Google it. Yep, he's a buffoon. But I, um, Want me to I look think, it up? No, no, please don't. Um, <laughs> I think it uh, comes from the Latin word "sociere" or something like that, which has to do with combining mm -hmm. or sharing, right? And so what I think the question you're asking is, uh, is Jesus someone who thinks we should all combine all of our stuff and uh, redistribute it? And you yeah. probably have, uh, are asking this in light of what you understand in the scriptures, particularly yeah, when, you look, the, yeah, when right. you look at the Old Testament, you see all about the promises that Jesus came to to rule and reign and establish a new kingdom. In the Old Testament, those are all the promises that one day Jesus would show up. By the way, that's what the book of Isaiah is. And then Jesus shows up, opens up the scroll and goes, that's me, right? He says, today's that day. And then he comes and reestablishes it. So he created family, he created marriage, he created nations, all which went to mass real quick. And then he created a, another institution that was going to reestablish his kingdom and, you know, kind of reconcile and redeem. Yeah. Marriage and family and nations, and that was the church. So when you see the church get established in the first century, uh, right after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and empowerment of his kingdom, right, he, he empowers them. What you see real early on, Acts chapter 2, is that people held everything in common. They held everything in common. That means they shared. That means they combined. And they saw that no one had a need. And so kind of the argument, you know, you got uh, Shane Claiborne and others and kind of, uh, you know, this red-letter Christian progressive group that would argue, yep, Jesus was a socialist. That's how he wanted us to participate. Now, here's the problem with saying it that way. In a perfect world, we would all hold everything in common. And you should. You should meet the needs of your neighbor. But one of the dangers of making that a declaration um, to the masses is 
it, that's what religion is. Religion mm -hmm. is man's attempt to either get to God or become your own God, right? And so socialism is just another religion. It's just mm -hmm. saying, you do what I tell you to do. Or we do it together because we have this great ideology. And if we do this, it'll fix all the problems of the world. And unfortunately, you can read throughout history. It just hasn't fixed the problems. And the reason it hasn't fixed the problem is not because it's not good in theory, maybe, but it's not good in practice because people are really, really broken. The whole point of religion wasn't to fix problems. The whole point of religion, uh, particularly the laws in the Old Testament, was to reveal to us that we couldn't follow the rules. And in this socialistic world, that you know, Jesus says that, outside the church, what happens is not everybody follows the rules. And what ends up happening is we tell other people how they should behave while not really focusing on how we should behave. And when you have broken individuals, it just takes advantage of the system. And so that's why you see lots of arguments about this could be a good way to live, but it's not the good way to live. And it has to do with the people that are involved. So is Jesus a socialist? Um, that he shared everything. Yeah. Uh, does he want us to share everything? Well, he says that he's generous to us so that we can be generous to other people. But the question has nothing to do with whether or not it's a good practice or a good methodology. It has everything to do with what's going on in your heart, hmm. right? If I tell you not to drink because I think drinking's bad, although the scriptures say you can drink, then what I'm telling you to do is that I go, well, no, drinking's not good for me. But so therefore it's not good for you either. All I'm doing is giving you a new set of rules and a new set of hoops to jump through, right? And so that's called legalism. What's good for me is good for me, and I've made decisions based on that. But the minute I tell you what's good for me should also be good for you, and you must do it as well, we've just created a new checklist yeah, right. and new religion. And so socialism is basically that. It's a, a group of people, a person saying, here's how you behave and you better perform correctly. And if you do that, everything will get fixed. Well, the reality is it doesn't fix anything, and what it definitely doesn't fix is your heart. Because yeah. the only thing that can fix your heart is Jesus. So should the church be more generous and gracious? Absolutely. Should we hold everything in common? Absolutely. Should the government tell us to do it? Well, that defeats the purpose of it. Yeah. It isn't this forced legislative yeah. change, right? And so you can't legislate morality, guys. That's a, yeah. You just can't legislate morality because there has to be heart transformation. And guess who's the only one capable of doing the heart transformation? Jesus. So instead of thinking about whether or not Jesus is a socialist in our government, we should think about what Jesus really is. And he's a transformationist. Yeah. Just came up with that right there. <laughs> and where he really wants to do the hard work is in our heart. And I promise you, if he does that, you'll be more gracious mm -hmm. and generous, which leads to kind of the other part of it is that's actually me. And I think there's a question that I think I saw kind of come up on this of, well, well, that's why I'm actually for lower taxes, not because I want more, but candidly, yeah, I'll talk about our government and government. I think I make better decisions with my money than the government does. I think I'll be more generous with my resources than the government is. So for me, it's going, no, no, I'd rather, I'd rather, like, I, I will make any decision I can on my tax returns in a, in a way that's appropriate and godly and honorable to, to offer the least amount of taxes as I can because I want to take that money and I want to be more generous with other people. That's my conviction. That has to be yours. But the reality is, in those things, what we're, what we're really looking for is not whether or not there's this perfect system that Jesus wants us to plug in and play. Because there is no perfect system. There's only a perfect Savior. So what we're actually looking for is Jesus to come and renovate our mind and heart where all of a sudden we don't really care about all these things. And we stop asking the question, asking the question, how much do I have to give? Because you don't care about that anymore. Because God's restored and renovated and redeemed your heart. And now you're asking the questions, how much do I need to keep? Yeah. And so that's different than socialism because you're going, I don't even want 10% of it. I want 2% because I want to serve other people. But that only happens with a transformation of your heart. So maybe yeah, I wanna, yeah, I did find that question that's yeah. similar. So yeah. let me just ask a question. It might be revisiting what we just talked about. So yeah. 
It says, caring for widows and orphans and the poor is a biblical duty and the Absolutely. responsibility that we all share as individuals and as a church voluntarily. That is a, uh, there is virtue in that. Nothing is expected in return. So where is the virtue in a third party like the government using force of taxation, etc., to take earned income or private property from some and give it to others? widely expanding these programs beyond the safety net for those who cannot or will not take care of themselves. And then th that kind of question continues on. It's, you yeah. know, that that's how we see political and gangs gain and maintain power. Um, and then it just kind of continues on. But that first part, I think, is the, is the question there. Yeah, so um, let me speak real bluntly to us. And uh, so I hope you can be tough and thick-skinned here. It's, I agree wholeheartedly with the statement that yes, it should come out of our heart, right? And that's not the government's job. Hmm. But one of the things that the church has done, guys, is we have acquiesced and abdicated our responsibility, and the church has picked it, I mean, the government's picked it up, yeah. right? Yeah, up until 100 years ago, healthcare happened within the church. Yeah. Up until 150 years ago, uh, I, you know, insurance for, you know, even life insurance, all this stuff happened within the church. Up until about 150 years ago, education yeah. happened within the church, right? So you can go read the book. It's called Jesus Skeptic, where they highlight all the movements of science and of technology and of, you know, healthcare, all orphan adoption and abolitionists of slavery all happen from people within the church who are chasing after what's happened for us, guys, is we say that. No, no, no. We, um, we, the government shouldn't do it. We, we want, we should be doing it. But the reality is, we say that out loud and people are watching us going, yeah, you're saying that, but we're not so sure you actually mean it. And where's the evidence mm -hmm. of that? And so I wholeheartedly agree that we should be gracious and generous because of what Jesus has done in us. And that is not yeah. the government's job. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be that we keep screaming at the government to go, stop that. We'll do it. It almost seems to me like we need to do it first. Yeah. It's like when you and your spouse both disagree on something and you're both fighting and neither one of you will apologize. You just live in that place. Mm -hmm. At some point, someone's just got to make the first move. And I think the church has a duty and responsibility to make the first move. I think it has to do with the marginalized and with orphans and widows and immigrants and so yep absolutely i don't think it's the government's job but have we as a church and as you as an individual taken on that responsibility or do you go no i already give money to my taxes so i shouldn't do anything else yeah. right well no if you have an extra set of clothes god has still been extra gracious to you right. if you have extra food in your pantry god has been extra gracious to you let's not point the blame at the government for taking money from taxes let's actually see what has god given us and how do we still use that yeah. for his kingdom. I think that's where it starts. If we actually believe it's virtuous and transformational in us, we start with our work and our deed and not with our talk and our signs declaring that the government's wrong. Let's actually create some evidence for it. By the way, there's precedence for this. Um, what happened in the Old Testament in a spot is Nebuchadnezzar, a really terrible king, and uh, he basically took Jewish boys and brought them into his uh kingdom and yeah. used them as slaves and servants right. and they believe there's a better way to live there's a better way to worship there's a better way to eat yeah. and instead of you know rioting or instead of like creating these big um petitions online all they did was go hey would you just let us show you the evidence of this right. you, right. you you're aware of it you probably you know the daniel fast is yeah. daniel going hey there's a better way to eat in this hey there's a better way to live like you want us to worship you but you're not like there's a better way to live and what happens is there's actually fruit and evidence that actually transformed nebuchadnezzar's heart where he goes yep not gonna make you worship me anymore 
We're going to worship the God you serve, right? And so there is a way by which we do that, not with our mouth and our bullhorns and our social justice media posts declaring what's wrong with the world, right? It's with actual action. Yeah. So, yep, yeah, be virtuous, but please, really be virtuous. Yeah, that's good. Uh, kind of jumping around, we're like I said, <laughs> the questions, we're going to be a little bit everywhere today. So um, normally what we do is when we, there's not a ton of questions, we'll just kind of work through the text. Yeah. But I love the questions. We're thankful for them. Thank you so Absolutely. much for, for doing that. So uh, again, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already listened to the message, you should start there. Re- really, that's the first step in overtime is that you can't go deeper if you don't already know what we talked about. So for those that have heard the message, this should be able to, you should be able to pick up. Um, this one comes from another listener. It says, uh, could you give a little more? <laughs> you say that like it's a radio. From a listener. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what would you call them? Well, someone in our church family. So, uh, someone in our church family. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Not um, just a listener. says, could you give a little more information? <laughs> well, it could be a listener okay. and okay, maybe sorry. not part of our church family. should be family. part of our church family. If not. You should. You are now. could be. You are now. Um, could you give a little? I'm trying to get this out there. A little more information on in the power of the Spirit. What is it? What does it look like? Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove. How do we get, and that's in parentheses, yeah. they put the Holy Spirit and live in the power of the Holy Spirit these days. And it just says, I'm checking my weights and balances, um, but others may get something out of this question as well. Great question. Um, yeah, so what you, uh, they're referring to here is... Um, just recently, a couple of weeks back, we actually saw where Jesus gets baptized, and we know he doesn't get baptized because that saved him, right? He already. Yeah. So, but what it does do is it models what actually happens. There's this, there's death, uh, uh, meaning the old life going, and there's kind of this picture of new life coming. That's what it is, like old, old creation, new creation, and so Jesus is modeling what's actually going to happen in the future. So when he says, "Today is the day of the Lord's favor," he's actually establishing ruling and reigning now so that that's going to be solved in the future because god jesus is outside of time that's why he can predestine and see things he's outside all that time mm-hmm. right and so what's actually being modeled in that baptism is what's going to actually happen a couple years later when jesus is literally going to be murdered brutally beaten for declaring he's god and then put into the tomb and then he's going to come out of it in his resurrected life, right? And the way by which that happens is through the Holy Spirit, right? right. So what Jesus is modeling in baptism and what we see when he comes up out of the water is uh, it says like the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It just, you could actually see it hmm. tangibly. You could see something on him. This is where Jesus uh, hears the heaven opens up and goes, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. And my son loves it when I walk into a room and announce that like that. And I'm like, that's a Bible joke. He's like, yeah, dad, whatever. You know? <laughs> So, but anyway, so what you see there is this kind of this establishment of that. And so what you're seeing in the Holy Spirit in that moment is you're seeing Jesus model what's going to happen and why the Holy Spirit becomes available to us because of Jesus's uh, life, death, and resurrection. What we understand is the same power that Jesus used to conquer the grave, the Holy Spirit, now is available to us. So you go, how do we get that then? Well, it's acknowledging Jesus's death or life, death. And resurrection. So it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Meaning, whenever you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that is now available to you. By the way, it actually is the Holy Spirit that opens up your eyes to even see that. So if you're a Christian, become a Christian, or right now about to, right? It is not actually the work that you do to get there. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. We see it in the beginning of 
Uh, Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, where it says that, you know, the earth was without form, void, and it says, and the spirit moved over the land. And so you see this power happening from the very beginning. And then that word spirit, we see a couple different times in scripture, and it's described as holy wind or holy breath. So we see this blowing of a wind. This is really, really neat here. Uh, Billy Graham says it this way. While you can't see the wind, you can always see the effects of the wind, right? So when you go outside today, you might not be able to see the wind, but look yeah. up in the treetops of what we've able to see, the effects of the wind. And so that gives us a good understanding of the spirit, right? So the spirit, you might not be able to see tangibly. You see it when it dwells like a dove on Jesus, right? But for the most part, you don't see it tangibly, but you can always see the effects of it. That's why if you're going, I want to see the spirit at work, I'd say, start writing out your prayers, right? Just... Uh, just start writing the things that you pray and then go back and look at the answers that are just pause for a second and think about how you are got or how you got where you currently are. Right? That's the work of the spirit. So some of this is just starting to pay attention. You might not be noticing the work of the wind until you look for evidence of it yeah. and you see it, right? And so that would be one piece there. So so what exactly is the spirit? Well, the, I told you there is sometimes referred to as a holy wind. If that's the case, you can think about the way that you participate in the Holy Spirit is by figuring out where the Spirit's working and keeping your cells up to always stay in that. So part of participating in the Holy Spirit is always keeping your cells up, like in a sailboat, right? Sail. Yeah, there you go. Uh, sailboat, like you want to keep it up. So the Spirit, one of the worst things we can do, and we do it all the time, many of us have done it over the last six months, we've just brought our cells down. We've just cowered and sat in our room, our, our living room, our home, and just going, I, I just, I'm just trying to survive. and. Mm. The work of the Spirit is never about survival. It's mm -hmm. all about this thriving that happens. So let's go, can you get your sail back up? Would you open your Bible? Would you mm -hmm. participate in the kingdom? Would you keep showing up? Would you keep listening? Would you keep learning, right? That's part of keeping yourselves up so the Holy Spirit can do it. But the other way the Holy Spirit described is as breath, pneuma, right? In fact, we really get a good understanding of this because of the way by which life happened. I talked about this briefly on Sunday, that Adam was not a man, then he became a man. Mm -hmm. He was a dead clump of cells, Maybe you'd say he was an ad hominem or, you know, uh, homo neanderthal or whatever, depending on how you call it scientif scientifically. But Adam did not have a spirit. Right. Well, how did he get a spirit? The God of the universe took this dead man, never lived before, breathed life into him and gave him his spirit. So there's this breath from God that's available to us. And so when it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me, what happened is you're seeing God breathe his life into Jesus and allow him to establish the kingdom right then and there. So what Jesus is saying is what you're about to see cannot happen in an earthly sense. That's why I tell you Jesus, uh, is he a socialist? Probably not because socialism and our uh, total depravity just doesn't work. But what you're about to see is you're about to see something different than what our worldly standards can do. What's different than our worldly politicians can do. All of a sudden you see that what's happening here is the power of the Spirit. So the fact that Jesus starts our reading Isaiah and saying the Spirit of the Lord is on me. What he is communicating there is this is otherworldly. Hmm. Meaning this is different than what we can experience on our own. Which is why I sound a little bit crazy. Especially if you don't believe this stuff. You're like, what is he talking about? I'm like, ah, it's so... It's experiential, experiential hmm. more than it is um, comprehensible. Uh, yes, it's harder to explain, better to experience... And so what Jesus is declaring is that he's going to come and bring his kingdom here. And the way that's going to do is 
through the power of something greater than what we can offer. And that's why C.S. Lewis says, hey, if you find in this world, there's nothing that can satisfy you. You look around, there's nothing in this world, nothing earthly that can satisfy us because it's not God's breath. Then perhaps you're meant for a different world. And the way that we see that world start to show up in the scriptures is always through the spirit of the Lord. So Jesus established it. And then he tells us, this is what the spirit of the Lord does in my life and the life of the kingdom. And that's where he starts to set the captives free is through breath from God. Good. Uh, so uh, w I'm looking at a few other questions that these are a little bit more practical, like if going, yeah. okay, directly from the text, I have a question about this. Um, so this next one says, uh, was it the usual practice in those days for just anyone to come to the temple, stand up and read from the scrolls and teach, or were there requirements? Oh, such a good question. And it would seem to me that there would be rules slash laws to be permitted to do this as there are so many rules, regulations, and laws for the temple and the priest, etc. in those days? Great question. And you think I preached long already? Like, oh, I think I did. I mean, it was an hour and five minutes this week. I understand it. It's a lot. But I wish I could have spent more time here because it's yeah. beautiful. Like, <laughs> God's Word is so amazing, and you get to learn so much, and there's just so much there. And so, great question. So what, what uh, the uh, person asking the question, part of our church family, not yep. a listener, yep. part of our church family, uh, and a listener, maybe both. You're part of our church family. So I think what, that was a little bit of a jab. What, but it's okay. yeah, well, it's I'm going to sure. take it in stride. Uh, what, 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 what they're asking about is um, Jesus shows up at a synagogue. You know, he's showing up at the Nazareth synagogue. That's his right. home synagogue. That as it was his custom. Meaning he went to church every week. Yeah. Which we got something to learn there and should participate in. Feels a little judgy. I don't mean to be judgy. I get paid to go to church. It's different than you don't get paid to go to church. But still, think you should go to church every week and participate in those things. So Jesus shows up and you go, well, is that customary? Like. Why did he get the reading? Right. Well, so I was sharing this last week with staff, and it's so terrible to say. But my dad is a minister of music. So he oversees the choir. You know, he keeps everybody on time. He sings loud. And so um, in the Southern Baptist is that world. the only two things he needs to do? Sing loud, loud and keep, keep, yeah, keep in time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that right there. Whatever. So anyway. So, but the other thing he did do, and pretty typical in like a Baptist church, was he kept the order of the service, right? right. So the, the preacher would preach the sermon, but the rest of it, my dad kind of put together. So, you know, and, uh, you know, he would put together the offertory hymn and the different stuff. And what I was joking about is the way by which he did it is he had outside the choir room this piece of paper where people could sign up to sing the special music, right? And the, I can't say his name. Sorry, I, I don't want to say it. He's dead. I mean, gosh, I don't know why that matters either. It's like, he's dead. Well, he's in heaven. He'll find this funny now. But at the time, there's this one guy who, as soon as that thing came up, he'd write his name down. And honestly, he had a horrible voice. Like, it was one of those things that it was so uncomfortable that you start laughing. And you've done it. I've done it. When you start laughing, you cannot stop laughing. And it's the, it's the one time you're not supposed to laugh. And you just are all giggly. And next thing you know, you've wet yourself. And so it's that kind of deal where I can remember growing up. And every single month, like, I'd have to prepare for that week that he'd sing. sing. But the, what had happened is my dad would kind of reach out. Or he'd put the list up and people would sign up. Well, uh, some of how we get church service it hasn't changed a lot over you know 2,000 years by the way in the first century don't see much evidence of like singing a lot of singing okay. there was some chanting there was some recitation or reciting but not a lot of like singing okay. no choirs that kind of stuff but in the first century there would be kind of a a synagogue leader that would organize everything. But you wouldn't really know much about him because he didn't do much. He just organized all the stuff. Kind of like mm -hmm. my dad, you sign your name up. So okay. someone that organized it. And so what would happen is there'd be a guy who at the very beginning would offer a kind of a, it's interesting, they said a benediction, which we think is at the end, but this kind of a prayer of blessing at the very okay. beginning. 
and then there'd be multiple people that'd read. There'd be up to seven uh, okay. different people who would get up and read the first five books, right? They wouldn't read it all, but they'd read part of, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Law. So they yeah. would read the Law. Seven different people would get up and read part of the scroll, right? So they'd have, you know, the, the Law together, and so they'd find seven different people, up to seven, but seven different people who would read part of the Law, and then they'd have one person stand up and read one of the prophets. Okay. Now, some of the times that would be like this traveling scroll. Or the others that'd be that's kind of the scrolls that they had. Now this is interesting because they're in uh, in uh, Galilee, not Judea, so it's a smaller place, not close to Jerusalem, and so they wouldn't have had the library and access to God's word like other places did. They would have had the first five books for sure, yeah. and that's why we have seven different people reading different parts of it, you know. And then, but they would have had some of the prophets. And so what we gather on this time, obviously, the prophet Isaiah was available. It was available all the time, and so literally different people would sign up each week or would be set up okay. to read, and so. They hear that Joseph's son's going to be in town. Okay. Hey, like <laughs> my poor wife, she has a beautiful voice. But so every time we would come into town and my dad was a worship minister, like, <laughs> hey, Julie, you want to sing this week? And she's like, that's exactly what I want to do on vacation. Right, To right. sing in front of a bunch of strangers who judge whether or not I'm pitchy dog, right? <laughs> and so, hey, I don't know if it's this. I don't know if they go, hey, Joseph, you want to get your boy up here? Whatever it is, there's been some movement. People are hearing the movement and they're inviting me. And so... Uh, opening remarks, prayer, seven different readings of the law, okay. one reading from the prophets. That's what Jesus does. And then, if it's really confusing, uh, there's kind of an interpretation, okay. right? So there's like this interpretation and then kind of a brief sermon and then kind of a closing prayer, right? So that would be it. So it seems like when we read this that Jesus is doing the reading of the prophets, offering the interpretation. He goes, want to interpret it? His name is me, <laughs> yeah. right? right? And then he offers the sermon and goes, it's for you today. Remember? Yeah. And then he rolls it back up, right? That was, so we think he probably was reading the, we know he's reading the prophets and probably offering the interpretation and the, yeah. and the kind of the sermonette there. So that's how a, a typical synagogue So is somebody going, read. wait a minute, that's my job. We're like, like uh, I'm supposed to do that today. Uh, so, but he might've already signed up for it. Yeah, who knows? Uh, what, what I gathered, the interpretation wasn't always part of it. Okay. So the other thing is they always stood to read, which is really neat. Some churches still do that. They stand to read the Bible and okay. then they sit to offer the commentary. Mm -hmm. So, and the reason they would do that is they'd stand up so they would hold God's word at this high yeah. value and then they would sit back down going, okay, the minute I sit, you know, this is my offering of the interpretation, right. not God's word. Now, what's interesting is Jesus could have stood the whole time because, yeah. you know, and, and obviously uh, it says he sat down, but he could have stood up because it still was his words speaking, right? Now, all of a sudden you see this in verse 20, off some commentary in verse 21, we see an addition that's added to the scriptures. Because Jesus is quoted there. So yeah, really interesting right. thing. But that's kind of what happens in a first century synagogue. Yeah, that's good. Uh, there's a couple other questions. I feel like you might have just okay. kind of addressed it. Yeah. But it says, were the scrolls read randomly or by a certain order? Uh, it would seem that there was no uh, no coincidence that the scroll of Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Which I feel like you just kind of answered guy by going, okay, this is, they read one of the prophets. And maybe they had it. Yeah. or it Maybe just, he brought it with him. I don't really yeah. know. Like. But it, so, yeah, but what, what is pretty mesmerizing is the fact that he was able to scroll that thing up, get right to the right spot and uh, pull a couple of things very clearly out of those yeah. two things. Isaiah 58, Isaiah 61. So I think it's yeah. pretty neat that he is establishing that he's ruling and reigning and that today that's become available yeah. to them. I feel like yeah. that kind of the rest of this question you've already answered or spoke to. Um, but it, what's good is that just this this person that is a part of our church is going, there are details that I just don't want to take for granted when reading scripture. 
and knowing our Heavenly Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that that was a good, great thing. Like, even those questions just that are going, hey, I don't quite understand. Like, was it random? Was it, like, did Jesus bring it? Like, what, like... What, what did that look like? So I just, I think I wanted to give a shout out and yeah. just say, man, that's a great question. Absolutely. Love those practical application questions. Yeah, thanks. Because I wouldn't have covered that, but really wanted to cover it. Yeah. It's like, this is not going to make the cut because, I mean, it's more funny stuff. I wish I could have <laughs> covered it, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So next one says this. Uh, and just another thought. Uh, the word today oh, yeah. stands out in verse 20 as if it was a message to us or maybe just me um, for now. Today is now and not just today of that time as if uh, uh, it's as if I hear that we need to know something about uh, more about bringing that than today to a now today because God's word is living and lives for a now today and not just a then today. Yeah, really, really interesting. And to be honest with you, in my notes, you I mean, you went to see them because the camera won't pull them up. But um, I actually moved some things around. And I talked about the grid, and I came back to this. And to be honest with you, a quarter of my notes, I mean, it's not a lot, but a quarter of the notes here all had to do with the word today. Mm. And frankly, I just didn't have time to talk about it, which is why, you know, it's on me. I got to I gotta make sure to get more pithy and concise with this stuff. But but there is some, there are real practical implications. That's also the word that jumped out to me. And like really what I wrote in my notes are all jumbled. But literally the words I put today, that's the word today set free. It's a covering. I'm the one who covers is what you're saying. I'm covering you. I'm not covering you tomorrow. Today, like it's yeah. every day. You can have it right today. Like it's today. Like it's 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 available. Like if you're oppressed, you can have it covering. You can be in me, right? You can. Do you want that? The spirit is on me, and it can be available to you. Do you want that, right? Today, you can have it, and today you can offer it. Like there's just two different pieces that God is giving it to you, and today you can receive it. But not only can you receive it, you can then offer this like so this is the beauty of the scriptures and this is why it gets really really confusing because you see we have this birth death timeline that we all live in ages, right. whatever and so we think about past tense present tense future tense and those kind of things and what we see happen here is god stamps stands outside of time right and what we see happen here is jesus steps into our timeline right here in nazareth he stepped into their timeline because he stepped out of heaven onto this finite period of time but what he's actually doing, he's stepping into our timeline to be with us, to invite us back into his timeline. And in his timeline, there is no beginning or end, hmm. right? When you sing the song, An Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, yeah. we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun, right? It's like, I mean, it it just makes yeah. our head hurt, right? <laughs> just like, <laughs> I mean, like you'll, you'll be with him forever. Ever. And so Jesus is saying this, today I've stepped into this and brought this to you. And what I've already done in the future, dying on the cross, is already available to you. Because I'm stepping to your timeline, but I'm telling you that's because it's done because I did it. So when you see in the Old Testament where these people were declaring the Spirit of the Lord and trusting it, they were trusting in something Jesus would do in the future. That's why Isaiah 53 is such a confusing verse. Because it's past, this, past tense. By the stripes we are, he has pierced for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. So Isaiah is saying something 700 years before it happens, but he's saying it in past tense. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he goes, by his stripes, we are healed. Now he jumps ahead and goes, these this stripes that Jesus did brings us, that's Isaiah and the kingdom of Israel right then, brings healing then. So by his stripes today, we are healed, right? So there is something very significant that Jesus is making that proclamation that he is, whatever he says is as good as done because his promises will always be fulfilled. So we're seeing the fulfillment of those promises, which by the way, he says one day, 
there would be no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow. Hmm. That, that's a promise. It's good as done. We can live in the reality that that's what our life will be like for all eternity because he says it's going to happen. They say today that's available today. Yeah. Uh, sorry that I'm not paying attention yeah. to the camera. Uh, I'm trying to listen as best I can, but also trying to uh, facilitate these questions. So let me yeah. just jump into another one that says this. Um, it's uh, question says, did government unjustly, if not illegally, put Paul in prison, uh, put Paul in jail back then, as some still do to this day? Even so, Paul still had the freedom with him within him and also freedom to write letters even while in prison, although his physical freedoms to travel and peaceably assemble and practice his religion were denied, uh, he wasn't bitter or hateful. So uh, this isn't, I don't think this is one that's directly tied to the message, yeah. but just a, a good question when we're, yeah. we're talking about political issues, right? Well, let's like, talk about government, un- the whole purpose yeah. of the government. There, God established government. I mean, right. it's, it's one of the institutions he established. And he established it for the good of his people, right? right? So there is a common good that's available to all people. And right. with that comes consequences and justice. God actually established rulers to reign right. and bring justice to things. Now, I don't think he established them to deal with the morality issues, mm. but he did establish them to, to deal with uh, thieves and murderers. Like So that is part of part of the, the yeah. government. God established that and tells yeah. us that we should render unto the government what the government requests of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got those pieces. And yes, I would agree wholeheartedly that Paul was mistreated. Uh, did God allow it? Absolutely. Did he cause it? I don't know, right? And so uh, I think you got to teach it, or at least we talked about it, that moment where uh, Paul's in jail. Or is yeah. it Peter in jail? Peter's in jail. Who's in jail when uh, they start singing? Peter. Peter, yeah. Peter. And so all of a sudden, they, like the jail cell breaks open. Right. And they're going, I guess we'll stay here because we care about you, jailer. You yeah. know, like, because if they leave, that guy's getting killed. Right. And so all of a sudden, in the middle of their joy, worshiping, they God opened the doors. But it yeah. wasn't the door that they felt like they were supposed to walk through. Why? So that this guy could be loved and receive the grace and mercy and be known in that, right? And so you see those things and go. Oh, and I right. correction: if we're talking about Acts sixteen, that's Paul okay. and Silas. Okay, yeah, that yeah. one's what I'm talking about. Sorry. Yeah. So Acts. So 16, I got that wrong. Yeah, too, but. yeah. So Acts sixteen, you get that picture, and so yes, Paul was put in jail. Yeah. And was free to go, and yet didn't <laughs> go out of um, care and love and respect for, for the jailer, the, for the yeah. one who was abusing him. Yeah. So, absolutely. There are things in this world that are unjust that we will experience. And yeah. the way you respond to those things could very well determine someone's receptiveness yeah. to the gospel. That's why I am yeah. calls call you all to be so cautious on your social media posts. Mm. Like, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Mm. And sometimes making a difference means laying down your opportunity for that gotcha moment or that point. Oh, right. And so right. government's job isn't to legislate morality, tell you how to behave, or even to speak into those things. But it is. It, its job was established to create safety and justice for people. And so that's the good of the government. That's why it was established. Do uh, those things get off base? Absolutely. Every single day. The reason being is people within the government are broken and flawed like you and I are. So yes, Paul was mistreated. Yes, he took that as a moment that God worked together for his good and the good of uh, the jailer and everyone else. So uh, that's what's really beautiful about this whole thing. You go, the question before was, did, did, did Jesus bring the scroll of Isaiah? Did, yeah. Was it just happenstance? I'm like, nothing's happenstance. Right, right. God, because God's providential. So all those moments, he's still bending and shaping for good. So did it seem like coincidence for them? Maybe. 
But there's just no such thing as coincidence in God's mm -hmm. kingdom because he is ruling and reigning, even the things we can't see. So he's ruling and reigning within our government right now. He's ruling mm -hmm. and reigning in Donald Trump, President Trump right now. He will rule and reign whoever the president is. That's Donald Trump or Joe Biden. He will still yeah. rule and reign. He is still the one with all the authority to sit over all those things. And so the week after the election, we will sit and look at, honestly, yeah. God having authority over the demons. And yeah. so it'd be nice to just take a deep breath and go, no, he's still ruling and reigning. Yeah, that gives so much comfort for me because I'm, it's like, you know, as I look at the candidates, I'm going, can I vote for none of them? Like, how to, it's a challenging season, but to know that God is sovereign and he is still in control regardless of who the president is. Brings comfort and peace that I can. I think it was week two. I can breathe in that. I'm yeah. going. Okay. Um, as we continue to talk about law, kind of the next question says this. Um, it says, should compassion for illegal immigrants and criminals who harm or take from others override the oath the president takes and governors and mayors also take to uphold the law? Is compassion always a sound basis for government policy? Our sanctuary cities as opposed to the sanctuary offered by by a church, an effective poli policy. Liberty is defined as freedom with responsibility. Yeah, so um, should we have compassion? Absolutely. We talked about it today in staff. Brene Brown says it's really hard to hate up yeah. close. Right. So um, we'd be real careful not to sit in our seats and just judge someone's scenario yeah. because, right. to be honest with you, if, if I am in a country where I can't provide with my family, do I try my best to put them in a spot that they can succeed? Probably. Does that mean I would enter a country illegally? I don't know. I've never been in that spot. Yeah. Right? right? But that's different than uh, dealing with uh, murder and thievery, right? right. Because we right. just established, no, that that's actually what government's for. Right. So right. there is right rules and right order that God has placed President Trump governors and all sorts of other people in a spot to actually rule and reign over the unjust issues, particularly as it relates to um, not, you know, character morality, but as it relates to, uh, you know, taking someone's stuff or murdering, taking someone's life. Right. Yeah. So there is this, yes, we can have deep compassion and yes, it's okay to have uh, clear boundaries and clear consequences. That, yeah. That's an okay thing because there is, I mean, you can see that throughout the scriptures. There's just scriptures that even outlaw, uh, outline how we respond to one another when we have grievances. That right. even in the consequences, hopefully what happens is it turns them back to Jesus and uh, responds that way, right? One of my, my, my former mentors, one of the most godly men I've ever met and a great leader, right? So he um, he came to faith in a jail cell. Right, long short story. I don't have a lot of time, but basically, he got blackout drunk and okay. uh, had no idea how he woke up and ended up in a jail Just cell. In prison. And he's okay. like, "Oh no!" And so he asked the jailer, "Why am I here?" And he said, "Because you murdered a man and oh, man. get used to being here." And he falls on his knees and says, "God, if you're real, if oh, you can man. somehow save me from this, I will devote my life to you." No. The reality is the jailer just lied to him. He just got blackout drunk. <laughs> okay. drunk but he held on to his commitment and to this okay. day still walks to the Lord because of it. So it's like those consequences, the weight of our actions, even though they're false, okay. um, draw us back to our neediness. I love and that story. Okay, so it's like, what? So anyway, so you got that and you go, so, yeah. so consequences are not a bad thing. Hey, parents, like boundaries are very helpful. Right. And uh, when you establish boundaries, you also establish the consequences when those boundaries are not respected. That is yeah. OK. Those are OK things in our life. But it doesn't mean you do it without empathy or compassion. Mm -hmm. You have deep empathy and you have 
deep compassion because but for the grace of God, we don't know where we're yeah. at in those situations as well. So how do we have immeasurable grace while also understanding the, the role of government as it relates to safety and yeah. consequences and the greater good? Yeah, I've got two okay. questions and then uh, I want to make sure that we get a little bit of okay. time to yeah. add anything extra there. Uh, question next one says, uh, what would Jesus think about the $10.8 billion being spent on the 2020 election? And it's got kind of where that stats from. Uh, would he rather that money be spent on helping to lift the poor out of poverty, care for the widows and orphans, or some other good? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I, I'm real cautious to try to uh, tell you what I think Jesus thinks, mm -hmm. if I don't know his words, right? Yeah. So that's why I don't even like the what would Jesus do things, right? I like the what did Jesus do. Yeah. Um, uh, I even want to be careful here because sometimes we can – Ask, think about those things in terms of our own self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. The reason I think that is because there's a moment in Scripture where someone just wastes a whole year's wages on Jesus' feet, right? Yeah, like right. he pours out perfume. And by the way, the money guy, Judas goes, how dare she? That yeah. is a waste of money. And he goes, you have no idea. I, I'm only yeah. here for so much longer, right? Like she has done it. So you got those things that go, I just want to be real careful with uh, discerning that and figuring that out. And, and you know, there's, there's all sorts of ramifications to it. Yes, do I think it should go to poor? In some ways, you got the economy being boosted by these different, uh, you know, politicians spending so much money. Um, what I do think uh, he is devastated by is by the amount of deception hmm. that we see. Because the reason I think that is because he talks about lying and saying it's because our daddy, the enemy, Satan, is the king of lies. So there is something devastating about the way that our world has fallen in line and the, mm. the culture and the current of not being honest or truthful and always spinning things. And that part of it, I think, is really, really dangerous because when you see lies and manipulation, that is where the enemy exists, right? He's the ruler of those things. So I would go more than the money piece. Yes, there's better ways to spend it. Hey, we should be really concerned at the foothold the enemy has and the ability to spin truth in our media and in our news and in our t televisions and in our own lives and our own inability to see the other side. Like all of us are being deceived in so many ways. And so that's where I'd point us to take a pause and go, what is truth? How do I find it? And the reality is Jesus says he is truth. Right. And so with all these lies and deception uh, and all these proclamations that just are our half-truths or not truths all draw us back to going towards Jesus, clinging to Jesus, and going, Jesus, would you show me who you are and show me what you want me to do? Instead of going, what could that money do? What can we be drawn back to truth? And can we go, what what, what do you want us to do personally in this? That's the key of this whole passage is yeah. this isn't about your vote. you got to steward your vote. Yeah. But stewarding your time and money and resources is as important, actually probably more important than stewarding your little bubbles on the mm. scandrum. Yeah. Uh, so last question, okay. and then want to just hear if there's any other thoughts or any final things that you had. Um, the question was kind of in, in regards to uh, the grid. So the end of the message, you use that grid. Again, bottom left is kind of least important. Top right is most important. And you're kind of laying out the issues, yeah. right? So social, there's economic, there's environmental, there's immigration, personal character, health care, yeah. like all of these. Um, we did have somebody go, hey, 
like what about abortion? Like it wasn't specifically drawn out. I think that you had connected that to social yeah. and, and mentioned it. But but maybe the, the question becomes, why not? Because that's such a, a big issue, especially for believers. Um, why not have its own, I guess, uh, paper? Like I don't even know. what. Like why not its own item? Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I think it's a good question. And uh, yeah, I get it. And, uh, you know, so here's what I would say, but it gets more complicated. Um, I don't believe abortion is a political issue. I think it's a moral issue, hmm. right? Um, I think abortion is taking of an innocent life. I believe yeah. life happens at conception. Um, and therefore, Jesus, I mean, if, if, if something is conceived, under the circumstances, so I'm, I am very kind of, vigilant about going there are no extenuating circumstances if god creates life it's because he wants mm. life to be there and i agree wholeheartedly in that but what what i did not want this sermon to be about is the the you know the pro-life movement because i what i am more concerned about i'm, I'm devastated by that and i think i think one day science is going to have to resolve this if we can let it you know or if if, it, if we can allow truth to actually mm. permeate our hearts because you see a heartbeat ultrasounds are a really valuable tool as it relates to uh you know uh, diminishing abortion yeah, rates right. is that just seeing a heartbeat or seeing that child uh, does help those things but what I, what i am really concerned about is this is so terrible but when i think about what jesus prayed right before he gets arrested he prayed for unity and what I am most concerned about right now in our church and in the global church is actually the unity of the body who loves mm. each other and cares for each other and hears each other. And so what I've heard over and over again is you can't be a Christian and vote for Donald Trump because of his moral issues, of his character, his arrogance, or on the other side. You can't be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden because mm. of abortion. And the problem is, is once we get ourselves pigeonholed there, we really can't vote at all. And yet right. God gives us the responsibility to vote. And so the bigger question was, could we see how someone could possibly hate abortion, see it as murder, and still not know who to vote for? Like, it's not just that binary, yeah. Donald Trump's for pro-life, Joe Biden's for abortion, so therefore it's just that clean and clear. Right. Right. Not because I don't think it, it might be, and I have some real opinions on that, but I do think we have to be able to see and hear each other really really important and so i wanted to guard the, the message from you being just about abortion and that this is the issue and it's a really really big issue i'm not gonna make light of it it is a devastating issue but so is the fact that people all over our country don't know where their next meal is coming from yeah. so is it that uh people aren't their orphans and widows aren't being taken care of right they're one of the biggest issues i think in our country is all the red tape surrounding uh adoption Right, because that seems to be if someone could fix that, yeah. if someone could fix that, we can make it more likely for people to be able to adopt without yeah. all the complications of it. Yeah. Then perhaps abortion rates would go down because they wouldn't have mm -hmm. to worry. So there are a lot of other things there. So I just wanted us to be able to see and understand that there are. It's a lot more nuanced. And so what I was driving people towards is, could you chase after what the Bible's been clear to you on and mm -hmm. what you believe the practical consequences of this election are, and then go and pray about those things. Find those two or three things that you think are the most significant things. If it's abortion, find that thing and ask the Lord what he wants you to do in your vote. Mm -hmm. And so it's more about that. Um, I just, I wanted us to see the nuance and hear each other mm -hmm. and consider more than anything else. So that's, that's why I, I agree. I, I do think it's devastating. I just, yeah, no, 
want to make sure we can see and hear people. Yeah. Well, we've, it looks like yeah. we've only got a couple minutes left. So I just want to open that up to anything else that you didn't get to. I know that we wanted to get to Isaiah. 58. Oh, I'm going so, to right All right, now. go for it. So I'm going to read through the message version because mm -hmm. um, I don't have to talk about it as much. So if you're not familiar, you get different translation messages, more of a transliteration. It's kind of a paragraph for paragraph. And so um, one thing I think pretty confident in this is um, all of us would like to hear from God, and we're wondering at times why we don't. Particularly right now, if you're asking God to tell you to vote for, right? God, would you tell me to vote for? Not just on, you know, the presidential, or even if you should vote, should you abstain, right? And you would just love for God to speak clearly, and it doesn't seem like it has been. Well, Isaiah 58, which Jesus quotes about, you know, in this, also gives us some understanding of how the motivation of our hearts could um, mm. diminish our thwart God revealing himself to us. So I just wanted you to hear this. And so this is Isaiah hearing from God. God's telling Isaiah to do this. You ready for this? Shout, a full-throated shout. Like this is important. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast out. It's like people need to hear this. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family Jacob with their sins. So tell, like, so we go, oh yeah, they got to hear that. No, no, no. You got to hear it. We got to hear it. Mm -hmm. Tell them there's something wrong with their life. You go, well, what's wrong with their lives? And this is this. They're busy, busy, busy at worship. What? And love studying all about me. Hey, these guys are so busy having the debates and they're going to worship and they're reading all the books and they're studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right living people. Right? To all appearances, these are a nation of right living people. Law abiding, God honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. So these are people going, God, we love you. We worship you. We know you. We do all these things. And we're asking you what to do. And we want you on our side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? God, we're asking. We're asking for you to tell us about what You haven't even responded to us. Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. So it's going, this is about you, not about me. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. Some of you are mean-spirited. You're so proud of your gotcha moments, right? The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off your humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? You call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. So this is what he's looking for. To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of exploitation in the workplace. To free the oppressed. And to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. See, these are the things he's looking for. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and, say, and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of the unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Let your lights so shine for men. Right? Your shadow lives will be bathed in the sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones, 
you'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you a feast of the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. So if you're trying to figure out why are we not hearing from God, then perhaps it's because the way that we're viewing the election is more about our own personal gain and less about how we serve those that God has called us to serve. So let's let's stop talking too much and let's go love our neighbor and let's go care for them and let's see God reveal himself to us because according to these scriptures, according to the thing that Jesus wanted us to hear as he established his ministry is there is a way by which he rules and reigns and makes himself known and that's when we serve others the way that he served us. And so I think it's important that we see that there. That's good. Well, that is um, all the time yep. that we have for now, guys. I just want to say thank you. Really appreciate all the comments, all the questions that were kind of uh, brought in. Um, if you have any questions, you can email us overtime at clcfamily.church or text us whatever your question is to 610-869-2140. Um, yeah, we hope that this has challenged and encouraged you. Um, we will be continuing with, with week five, Jesus for President. And he's this still in the Sunday. synagogue on the Sabbath. He's yeah. still there. We left him there last week and we'll get back to him. He's yeah. still being there. So we hope that you'll join us. And yeah, if you have any questions, please let us know. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, be well.